Welcome to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Laura Welsh, who's the founder and owner of Inspire Physical Therapy. Dr. Welsh and I are going to be talking about all things related to private practice physical therapy, stuff we didn't learn in physical therapy school, and so much more. This is a great episode for physical therapy students, physical therapists, and anyone who's had physical therapy care or who is looking to start physical therapy for any kind of issue that they might have with their body. We talk about the importance of private practice and what good physical therapy care looks like from both the patient perspective and the physical therapy perspective. I hope you enjoy this great episode. Before we get started, quick word from one of our sponsors. Dr. Welsh, welcome to the show. Excited to have you on. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So for people who aren't familiar with Inspire Physical Therapy or you personally, could you share a little bit about your journey? Sure. So I went to VCU for um, undergrad and grad school. I studied exercise science for my bachelor's and then um, did my DBT at VCU in Richmond, Virginia. That's where I am still. And I graduated in 2011, worked for about a year and a half, and then shot over to Vallejo, California to do a PNF residency. So um, that's proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation for anybody that doesn't know. But I learned it in school very briefly, and I didn't really understand what it was about. And then I was taking another cl- class that was kind of unrelated, a continuing education course. And the instructor there talked about this residency program, and he said, if any of you have the chance, please go out there and do this. So I did. I, I went out there for six months. It was all inpatient rehab, uh, which terrified me because I was bad at it. And I always thought I'm an outpatient therapist. Um, and so I went out there with that attitude, which I, with it, I don't recommend. But so it was a complete neuro population. Uh, I ended up working on the spinal cord team there and just a, a life-changing experience. And Um, really learning how to work with people that have been through some pretty uh, life-changing things like spinal cord injury or stroke. But being able to take those techniques and bring them back into the outpatient world has been amazing because we all have nervous systems. Um, We all have efficient ways of firing movement patterns and inefficient ways. And so using PNF has been a great way to evaluate that and to treat that. So I think for anyone that again, has that uh, opportunity to go out there, uh, even if you're not an inpatient rehab um, therapist, to to do it because it can help everyone, young and old, no matter what your injury is. Right. Um, Like you said, everyone has a nervous system and there's arguments to be made that all physical therapy is actually neurophysical therapy because, you know, when you see a patient two, three, four times a week even, most uh, therapeutic exercise programs are not focused on overloading tissue to the point of increasing muscle size to promote muscle strengthening. So it has to be a neural rewiring, so to speak, that causes adaptation. And the fact that you sought out a six-month position to specifically learn about that stuff is pretty amazing because I didn't even, before we uh, started talking here, I didn't even know they had residency programs specifically for PNF. Um, I've heard of PNF techniques before, but that's still just kind of baffling me that you can specialize in that specifically. 
Yeah, so so out in Kaiser Permanente in Vallejo, that's where Maggie Nutt, um, one of the kind of founders of PNF, was. She was in this location. So you kind of go to like the mecca of where it all began, and it's it's a really um, inspiring and kind of like a powerful place to be because you're surrounded by these experts that do it so well. And it, there's nothing more humbling than trying to practice those techniques on someone who is a very dense. Uh, we call them dense strokes, but someone who has had a lot of disability because of their stroke. Um, it's, it's incredible work. But so I did that and then I came back to VCU uh, area and I worked in inpatient rehab for a while, which I thought was crazy because I, you know, was never going to do that. Um, and, and I ended up doing that for um, about a year and a half. And then I trickled over to do inpatient and outpatient sports medicine. I was PRN. So I was working hourly for the same VCU um, for the same company, but flip-flopping between settings. And then I ended up going completely outpatient and, and stepped out of the, the neuro or the inpatient world. Um, so fast forward, um, I've jumped to different outpatient clinics throughout the years, um, even did some peds at a children's hospital, which was so much fun. But again, I never would have told you I'm gonna do peds. Um, but you know, all of that, people are people um, and all of that experience can be applied to kids just a little bit with more creativity maybe. <laughs> and uh, uh, then I was studying to get my certified functional manual therapy, which is um, we call your CFMT, but that's through the Institute of Physical Art. And uh, I had taken courses ever since I graduated PT school from the Institute of Physical Art, but I didn't really commit, like pay the money and say, I'm going to do this until much, much later. Um, even though I'd taken courses throughout the years. And so I would say I gave it maybe about a year and a half, two years of like, really, like I am dedicating myself to this. And um, while studying for that, I got my OCS, orthopedic clinical specialist. So um, that was just to kind of help me study for the CFMT as well. Um, finally got my CFMT and that was a huge undertaking. Uh, it's where you go to Steamboat Springs where the IPA is, is housed and you um, go through a week of um, review of didactic material and then lab and uh, hands-on techniques. And then you take a battery of tests and, and labs at the end of the week. And so it kind of felt like PT school all over again, um, but it was an amazing experience. And after that, uh, having that, I thought, well, you know, if I go back to Richmond again, um, which I never really thought about leaving, but I, I don't really want to go back to any of these clinics that I had worked in. So I had always picked up temporary work here and there, and I saw so many issues with the traditional models of outpatient physical therapy. And from, I saw it from the clinician side, my side, but then I saw it from the patient side too. And they would complain to me or give me feedback about the model in general. And so part of so something inside me was like, let's do it your way. And, um, and I kind of felt that like that. I was like, I either want to do this my way or I maybe want to just do a different career. I mean, I was sort of just at my end of um, not liking the traditional model so much that I was willing to just go out on a limb. So I did. So I opened um, Inspire Physical Therapy in 2018 and um, I've been there ever since. And how has that journey been so far for you? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so Everywhere you read, any business literature you read, they all say, give it two years, give it two years, and then you're going to see a turnaround. And uh, what happens is most people give up, right? But because two years of, of feel like you're just hustling and spinning your wheels and not getting a lot of return is 
so humbling and, and really hard. And, uh, um, it took about two years before I, I thought, you know what, this is, this is working. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's challenged me to grow in so many ways. And I, it was something that I, I would never have done differently. Um, now, if you were to ask me, you know, two years ago, how I feel about it, I might've, I might've had a different answer for you, but now that I'm on the other side of it, um, I can say that it's a, it's a hard journey, but it's, it's well worth it if you're willing to, to dig deep. <laughs> Definitely. And it seems like you're not the kind of person to back down from a challenge. You've kind of done it all by the sounds from the PNF residency to obtaining your OCS to obtaining your CFMT certification. And I'm sure I'm missing some in there. It seems like you just always strive for more and strive for better in everything that you do and you never back down from a challenge. One of the challenges that faced you as a private practice owner, and you mentioned it yourself, you know, the past two years were kind of a struggle is obviously COVID. So how did you kind of respond to the nature of the pandemic from a private practice standpoint, keeping yourself and your patients safe. Right. So for when COVID was first hitting the country, um, I shut down my office and I think we were all kind of on our toes. Like, what do we do? What do we do? So I, I closed completely for eight weeks straight. Uh, I collected unemployment. I um, collected the money that the government gave businesses to pay rent. And I, and I laid low for eight weeks. Well, I learned about diastasis recti. <laughs> I learned about something during those eight weeks, but uh, really didn't do, do much. I offered virtual sessions with my patients, but um, my, my sessions with my patients are so hands-on that a lot of them were like, uh, I'll wait until I can see you in person, um, which you know is, is on one hand very flattering, but on another hand, it's like, well, shoot. <laughs> now, now what am I going to do? Because I need, I need to pay my rent. Um, so I did have one or two patients that did do some virtual sessions with me. Um, but the most part I was, I waited until our governor or our, our mayor said, okay, um, elective medical procedures can now proceed. And that's when I thought, okay, well now I have the backing of the government. So I'm going to open up my place and then just rocked the masks, got, you know, my vaccine um, boosted, all that stuff, just trying to like check all the boxes yeah, it certainly wasn't an easy time for anyone. Uh, and it sounds like you rose to the occasion as good as anyone would expect you to. Um, it is definitely difficult uh, to take a in-person kind of thing like physical therapy and somehow provide the same quality virtually. Uh, a lot of what we do, as you mentioned, uh, is hands-on, manual therapy, range of motion assessment, strength assessment, you cannot really get a good idea of how well someone's moving until you put your hands on them and feel it. Uh, there's a concept for those listening, you might've heard me mention it in the past, called end feel. So as you're moving a joint, what does the end of that range of motion feel like? Is it sticky? Is it like a block? What does that feel like? And if you don't have the ability to feel that, you're not gonna know those things. So I can definitely appreciate your point of, you know, it, it's best done in person. Uh, and that's something that I think our educational model as well, uh, I'm not gonna beat that dead horse, but um, our educational model doesn't really prepare people for because everything we learn is in person, hands-on over and over again. 
And then all of a sudden you get thrown into a situation where that's not the normal anymore. And you're like, well, shoot, what do I do now? How do I, how do I go about this? Well, one way that can be very powerful is that if someone talks to you about when I lay in my bed, I, I have pain or when I wake up in the morning, I feel pain. What's cool about that is you, they can take you into their bedroom on their computer, right? And you can look at them in their own bed on their own pillow and just start assessing and, and modifying and all this stuff. And so that, that is a lot of fun, I think, to be able to see their kitchen, see their stairs, see whatever it is that they've been telling you about for so long and be like, oh, okay, I get it now. Try this instead. Um, so that's, that can be a lot of fun. Definitely. And that's where having your own clinic and having the ability to do those things really helps set you apart because some of these larger corporation type clinics or um, some people even call them like a mill, a mill style clinic where, you know, it's just constant four or five patients an hour, as many as you can treat and quality of care just kind of goes out the window. That sort of one-on-one -on -one individual care wouldn't even have been an option in that kind of situation. Right. It's, um, it's, it's kind of a shame that that, you know, if someone experiences what you're talking about, a mill type clinic, they, some people might say, well, I tried physical therapy. It's not for me. And they, they move on to another profession or another didactic. And it's, it's hard because it's like, just like a hairstylist, not, not all professions, professionals are the same. Um, so I hope that people that have experienced that mill type of clinic and didn't have a lot of success look for maybe another physical therapist and not just cross PT off the list of things that they tried that didn't work. Right. And not just for the patient, but sometimes for the physical therapist as well. Uh, the whole industry has a growing problem as it relates to burnout and just overall uh, imposter syndrome. Uh, there was a, I went to uh, the APTA PA uh, conference this past fall, and there was a presentation on some new research done that new grad PTs are experiencing a lot of imposter syndrome. And it's like, you literally have a doctorate degree. Like, you know, you know your stuff, but uh, you know, you look at the model that we're putting people into and no one can provide high quality service and feel good about the service that they're providing when they're treating so many patients over and over again. Mm -hmm. That, and as a new grad, I mean, you don't, there's still so much to learn, even though you just yeah. went through years PT school but it's like you're supposed to be confused and feel like beaten down a little bit like like that's totally normal and it's not until you practice right and practice and practice and take a lot of courses that you can start like oh getting understanding patterns of recognition that that help you go to certain treatments certain for certain people and but it's so normal to first out being like what am I doing <laughs> Right. It's part of the learning process uh, yeah. and having the ability to work with a patient one-on-one, -on -one, every patient you treat kind of becomes a personal case study for yourself. Yeah. So that's constantly kind of ref refining that learning process for yourself. Every patient becomes almost like an educational experience for you in addition to a uh, healing and treatment uh, experience. Yeah. Right. And um, in school, it's like, we don't really talk about, okay, let's say if you try these things and it doesn't work, then what, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, we, we don't in school, I feel like we just thought, okay, if you see someone with this problem, try this thing. And then if you see someone with this problem, you try this thing, but we don't really talk about um, what, what should change your clinical decision-making as things work or don't work. Right. Um, and or... so you don't realize that, oh, people sometimes don't get better at first with what the first thing you try. Right. Um, 
and they don't teach scary. you they don't teach you how to think outside the box either you said that you learned pnf as it relates to spinal cord injury stroke different neurological populations and i've used pnf techniques myself for patients who have no neurological diagnosis and had great success with it so mm -hmm. just because you learn a certain tool for a certain patient doesn't mean that's the only use for it Sometimes you have to think outside the box and that's where being able to go with a higher level provider who has specialist certifications and experience uh, doing that sort of thing can really pay dividends for the patient because you're now getting someone who's not just going to look at things as black and white. They're going to see a little bit of gray and they're going to try and pull different things into that picture to paint the rest of it, so to speak. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it, right. You never just see like a knee pain patient. It's like a knee pain and their shoulder hurts and they have a history of migraines and they, you know, it's never what we learn about in school of like, this person has knee pain and that's it. It's like, that's so, <laughs> it's like you wish. <laughs> right. So as we've been talking about physical therapy here, I'm curious, what difference has it made for you opening your own practice and kind of being your own boss? Have you felt better about things? Have your patients noticed better outcomes? Yeah. So um, I've, I have noticed that I'm able to learn about people so much better because I have the time, right? Like my evals are an 80 minute session. And that's because we sit and chat for sometimes 20 minutes, which, you know, in a faster clinic, you might be halfway through your session at that point, if you're lucky. Um, so I really get to chance to talk to them about uh, their pain, but also their history, but how they sleep. How are you eating? What do you do for movement? What do you um, do to relieve your stress? All that stuff. And so uh, I, I love that I have time. Um, it's so, it's so awesome. And, so, and then I also have time to really evaluate and take the time, right? Because your treatments are only going to be as good as your evaluations are, I think. If you, if you can't see what you're, you know, what you're looking for, how can you treat it? And, and when you're, when you don't have the pressed time, it's just amazing. And you're not in this busy clinic. I don't, I, I know personally, I work so much better in a low, kind of low sensory environment, which took me some time to understand that that was a thing. I, I would come home from, from like a sports medicine clinic, just being exhausted and, and didn't really understand. And I thought maybe this profession isn't for me. Uh, and then now that I have my own place where it's quiet and it's focused and it's like, wow, I can actually be effective if I just make the, an environment that nurtures that for what I want, what I need. Um, so, so yes, I, I do notice um, a, a lot within myself as a practitioner, but then as the, the people that I'm treating, you know, a lot of people don't do well in a busy environment, especially if they're in chronic pain, um, or if even if they've had past history of trauma, a, a really busy environment is kind of threatening to their system. So um, and some of the things that they're talking about are very private. So if you're in a clinic where it's like a row of tables, one after the other, you know, and someone's telling you about their problem while their neighbor is in a table next to you. I mean, how, how, um, private is that, you know, it's not. And so it's, it's really great. I really get to see people open up and kind of, we can really kind of meet together as people to see, okay, what, what can we do together to help you. Um, and I think that takes time, but it also takes trust and it takes conversation. Um, and a lot of that, I feel like you can't get in a busy clinic. Right. It's a people first mentality. And like you said, you're able to look at someone holistically, 
Whereas mm-hmm. most PT clinics aren't going to let that fly. You know, most uh, physical therapy outpatient evals, and again, not all, but most uh, do not involve any kind of questioning about how someone is sleeping, what their mm-hmm. nutrition is like, what their stress management is like, uh, and so on. It's a very quick you know, isolate the area of particular concern, uh, integrate it into function and see what impact that has in the person and then test and retest over and over and over again. And that works for some people, but not everyone. Like you said, it's not individualized. It doesn't address every single piece of that person. And it's not a person first approach to treatment. Uh, And you and I both know that a lot of these other issues that we talked about Uh, can really play into the whole reason someone's coming to see us in the first place, right? If someone's not sleeping well, then yeah, they're probably going to have, you know, back pain or neck pain or something like that. If someone's extremely overweight, I had a patient last summer who had a BMI of 58, and she came in with back pain. And I, I just didn't know how to tell her in an outpatient orthopedic setting, that the reason for her back pain is that she's about 320 pounds and she needs to lose about half of that. Um, Mm. And then her back pain will go away. You know, there's a limit to what you can and can't do. But when you're in an outpatient setting like I was, that patient stayed on the caseload because Mm. bills have to be paid, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and if if you're working at a place that's reimbursed by insurance, uh, you can only bill for the diagnostic code that they're coming to you for, right? So um, a lot of insurance companies will say, oh, back pain. Okay. You get 30 visits or something. I'm just throwing a number out there, but, um, and it, it, that's so unfair, right. For everyone. Um, not, not two people with back pain are going to be the same. So, um, it's really, really nice not going through insurance as a, as a clinician. And I think for the patient too, but that takes some education to kind of encourage them to go that route. It's, it's, it's always better to treat the root cause, right? Instead of just the, because what you might be treating could be the reactor of what's really going on. Right. So when you're able to tease out through a longer eval what that root cause is, you're mm-hmm. probably able to get resolution of the patient's problem much faster than had they gone to one of these other physical therapy facilities where it's, you know, they're almost looked at as more of a number instead of a person. Right. And, and well, what, the frequency of when they come to me is about once a week is the average. And, you know, those traditional PT clinics are going to maybe three times a week, which is, which whatever your copay is adds up, but also time off work adds up, travel adds up. I mean, there's, there's so many reasons why going to, to a place where, okay, you might pay more upfront, but you're getting so much more value because of the one-on-one focus, but also because you're coming less frequently, um, but with more quality within that time that you're there. Right, right. And you said you focus a lot on manual therapy too, which that's a sort of treatment that you can't just get anywhere. You have to go to someone who's highly specialized in it. Mm-hmm. Right. I, it's, I think it's really important if you want to go out into your own practice to specialize in something. Um, because it's great for not only marketing, but also for you. Um, it, it just shows yourself and your people that you're trying to help that, yeah, you've spent a lot of time, <laughs> you spent a lot of time studying this particular thing, and that's what makes you unique. Right, right. And 
when people come to you, they're not just paying for the service that you're providing then, they're also paying for all of the education that you have sought out in the past and all the education that you continue to seek out to continue to provide the highest level of treatment as possible. Because as we both know, things have a tendency to change over time. Yes, absolutely. Uh, right. I, I, that's one thing that I love is continuing education. And I, I do a lot of classes a year. <laughs> uh, and I try to share that in a newsletter with my patients as I go to say, hey, this is what I'm working on, you know, because I think they just, they love, I mean, a lot of them will come in and say, oh, that thing that you just went to, can you try it on me? I mean, they, they want to know what else have you learned? And um, so it's exciting for everybody. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, what kind of courses are you currently looking into or what do you recommend? So yeah, absolutely. So um, Institute of Physical Art, hands down. I mean, just amazing, amazing courses, amazing people that you'll be surrounded by. Just um, the most, I think, holistic courses you're ever going to take. And they blow your mind. Uh, and they also create crazy changes within yourself, like when someone's working on you, um, your partner. So um, that, uh, I just finished Diane Lee's um, integrated systems model. Uh, it was a three series course. So she flew to the US three different times from Canada. And that was an amazing, amazing series that mostly talked about sort of evaluation of the whole person and how to really look at someone from a bird's eye view. And also she gave us some treatment options too, which was great. And, um, and right now I have a couple of Baral courses um, in the mix. So I'm, I'm trickling more towards a little bit of like visceral work and neural meningeal work of like the brain and the face. Um, I've joined AAPMD, which is an airway um, group that have a, a lot of webinars online for um, speech pathologists um, or speech therapists, excuse me, physical therapists, doctors, dentist. So it's a whole um, group of, of people that just want to learn about airway. And that has been super fascinating to watch. Um, and then in a few weekends, I'm going to take a cranial sacral course, which I never would have thought I was going to do that. Um, but I was in a brawl course and taking um, NM1 is what it's called, neuromeningeal one. And they talked a lot about they kept bringing up cranial sacral therapy. And then I saw some article that was saying that cranial sacral therapy has really helped people um, after a concussion. And so when I saw that article, I thought, well, shoot, you don't look fine. Because <laughs> um, it, it wasn't, sadly, maybe for me, it, it wasn't until I saw some research, you know, some results to say actually cranial sacral is helpful for some people. I'm like, okay, I'm convinced now. Um, whereas before it was something that I was curious about, but not enough. Anyway, so so that's my next course, it's cranial sacral one. And then I'm signed up for visceral mobilization two in Denver, and that's through the Burrell Institute. Um, so I, I'm going in the more kind of Burrell uh, direction now. Interesting. Now, mm -hmm. for those listening who might not be familiar with craniosacral therapy. Could you just give a brief overview of what that is? Sure. So it's looking at um, the, it's the nervous system, but looking at the dura in your, in your body and basically treating from your cranium down to your sacrum. So there's this cranial sacral rhythm that everyone has, um, that everyone that's thriving that has it. And sometimes that rhythm can get interrupted from um, an injury or from trauma, emotional or physical. And so the idea is to reinstate that rhythm because they should be speaking to each other um, and flowing at the same time, but sometimes that gets disrupted. Um, so it's, it's very hard to detect. And some people think it's complete woo-woo. Uh, 
I like to keep an open mind and I, I would rather go see for myself. <laughs> I'd rather go see for myself what it's about because I've, I've met patients who said, oh, it really helped me, blah, blah, blah. And even if it's placebo, right? We know enough about placebo and nocebo that those effects are very powerful. Um, but I'm not learning a technique for placebo effect. I really want to know um, what is this about and can I feel it? Because if if, if you can detect the cranial sacral rhythm in your hands, your palpation skills, just as a clinician and whole, as a whole, are gonna get that much better. Um, so I think it can only benefit me. <laughs> so I'm excited to take it. Definitely, that sounds awesome. And again, it's a, another thing that, you know, you don't learn in school. Uh, there, right. There's a lot of things they don't teach you in school, uh, but that, you know, further emphasizes the point of PTs need to continue to invest in themselves and patients need to continue to seek out the best possible care that they can. Uh, and while having a big background of certifications is extremely helpful in determining that, don't get completely caught up, I'll say, in the amount of letters after someone's, uh, someone's name, because some mm -hmm. of them mean a little bit more than others, right? So mm -hmm. uh, like OCS, as you mentioned before, orthopedic clinical specialist. I think that's what one to 2% of outpatient clinicians get that certification. That's mm -hmm. kind of a big one. A lot mm -hmm. of people, however, can get something like uh, CPT, right? I'm a certified personal trainer. You only need a high school diploma to get that. Mm -hmm. It's not, it doesn't have as much meaning after it. So don't get too caught up in the uh, alphabet game, as I like to call it. Mm-hmm. I know you, you'll see some clinicians' names that have just like a, like a sentence behind their name of all these different letters. And you're thinking like, oh my gosh. Um, but you know, the people that got like straight A's in your PT class aren't necessarily the best clinicians um, because you have to take what you learn and be good at applying it and applying it appropriately. And that's a whole nother level, I think, of, of um, skill set. Definitely. Um, I certainly was not the top of the class straight A student. Me neither. <laughs> That's good for me to share that now as I'm starting my job search, right? Right, right. No, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I had a hard time connecting with PT school. I had moments of, is this for me? Um, and uh, some of my colleagues in my class, some of my classmates had similar attitudes about it. And what's kind of funny is that there's three of us that kind of stuck together as far as like, oh, I don't know if this is for me. And we now all have our own businesses. Um, so we, we kind of chuckle with each other to say, look at us. Like we, <laughs> we had a hard time connecting in, in PT school with the concept of PT school, but now we've really taken it into what we feel like is important. And so I, I, I think that's kind of cool is that, you know, we weren't the straight A top, top students, but we found a way to own it in a way that um, means something more to us. Yeah, definitely. That's amazing. Um, that makes me think of uh, Dr. Lair's story, who we just shared a couple weeks ago of he couldn't even get into PT school. He applied to 37 different PT schools and only got accepted to one. I mean, talk about having the odds stacked against you. Uh, yeah. And then when he was in uh, PT school, he had to repeat a year because he failed a course. Uh, and now you look at him and I think he said he's got 24 letters after his last name. Now, I know I just made the point about the alphabet but his are literally <laughs> OCS EDD uh like manual therapy fellow of yeah. NIOM like like it's it, it's a very impressive 24 letter combo so it, it is kind of amazing how 
uh, again, sometimes the most successful people are not the ones that you would expect to be successful looking at grades alone. Right. And, and, you know, you could be a bad test taker, which is one of my, <laughs> I think I'm a bad test taker. So you could be a bad test taker. You could, you could just not really enjoy the foundational material, even though it's really important. It could just be kind of boring to you. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of, but, but I understand PT school. I mean, they want you to pass the board. So I get that. Like you have to start somewhere, right? You can't just get into the, the super fun stuff. So. Right. Right. So outside of the realm of physical therapy and private practice, what else do you do in your free time? Uh, how do you kind of keep yourself mentally sane with all these crazy things going on? Yeah. Good idea. So so the mental piece, uh, Headspace. <laughs> I use the Headspace app um, to meditate. And, you know, there are times when I feel like, oh, I'm going to skip it today. And then I end up skipping it for a couple of days. And I totally notice a difference with my, uh, you know, they call it your monkey mind of, of just racing thoughts. Um, we'll just go into high gear. So, so I think meditation is so important. And I, I try to harness that for my patients as well. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's really useful, but that, and then running, I'm a, I'm a, I love running and especially trail running. So really running is, is the way that like, I, I think, but the way I don't think, you know, <laughs> the way that I like reduce stress and spend time with my husband, we run together, um, spend time with my dog, he'll run with me too. So being outside, um, we're big outdoor enthusiasts so hiking outside running outside riding our bikes just going for a walk I mean those are all um I think being in nature is one of the most grounding and healing things you can do for yourself and and actually that's one of the things that's helped me lately because I feel like we're getting so much stimulus as far as COVID and politics and climate change and all that stuff at once that you're like oh my god you know inside like oh, I'm freaking out but but for me, going outside and just looking around and noticing nature, it makes you realize that, you know, things are a lot of, in a lot of ways the same as far as nature in that moment goes. So just being able to watch birds or to watch squirrels or to watch and, and realize like, okay, it's, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Being yeah. kind of still and present in the moment instead yeah. of lost in the uh, train of thoughts that uh, seem to be running rampant right now between, as you said, the politics, the, um, the pandemic, I think we're hitting record numbers now or something like that. Like it, it's just craziness going on, but your ability to step back and step away from all of that and just be still and present where you are and aware of everything around you can really make a huge difference for yourself mentally uh, and physically, because there's so many connections between your mental and your physical. Absolutely. And, and keeping social media to a minimum, I think mm -hmm. is huge. Um, you know, it's addicting for a reason. And, um, and I think it can really like make it so much harder for yourself if you're on it a lot. Uh, and I'm, I'm guilty of that too. I mean, I've, I've set a timer on my phone that bleeps when I've spent too much time on, on social media and it's very helpful because it makes you realize like, oh, I got sucked in again. You know? <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, so is there anything else you want to share with people listening about private practice and just kind of the overall value that it provides? I know we've talked about a lot of the different things that 
really stand out amongst uh, someone going to private practice as opposed to, uh, you know, your regular uh, mill style physical therapy clinic. Uh, but is there anything else you wanted to share on that? Sure. So I'll start with if you're thinking about opening a private practice first, and then I'll kind of switch over and say if you're a patient thinking about where to go. So as a clinician, um, I would say first get some experience under your belt um, and just kind of check out different clinics, different clinicians and see what you like and what you don't like. I think that's really important to kind of get your hands dirty first. And like I said, get certified in, in something or really specialize in something uh, is really important. Um, also, when I first started my clinic, I, I forgot to mention this, I worked hourly on the side. So I, I didn't jump all in at first. And depending on who you read, some people suggest doing that. I didn't financially didn't want to do that. I just, so, um, but it turns into a crutch after a while, because if you have free time, you're like, well, I'll just go pick up some hours over here when you could be doing something for your business. So, um, and then I would say networking is huge. So reaching out to just everybody around you, personal trainers, other PTs, massage therapists, Pilates instructors, acupuncturists, doctors, um, but just getting to know as many people as you can that are already out there doing it is, is huge. Um, and then there's three books that I think are really important. One is called The E-Myth. That's by uh, Michael Gerber. That's all about why businesses fail. Um, very, very insightful book. The other one is it starts with why, and that's from Simon Sinek. And he, it's all about marketing. I learned some uh, like really simple tips in that book that of things that I was doing that apparently you're not supposed to really do. <laughs> so like, that was super helpful because I don't know anything about marketing, you know? So like, why should I act like I do? But anyway, and then uh, right now I'm reading Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, and that's just a reminder of it's the small things that you do that add up to the big picture, right? So um, at the beginning, if when you open a, a practice, a lot of things that you're doing don't have a lot of return at first. So when I first got it started, I was doing a lot of trades with different people like, hey, come in, experience what I do. And I'll come to your place and experience what you do. And so, although that's super fun, that doesn't really pay the bills. <laughs> right. Um, but what it does is you're starting to create this network of people that can say from experience why you're important, why people should come to see you. So that, that was huge. Um, and then as far as, so that's about all I think I have to say about um, the business perspective. One of the things that Emeth talks about is not getting really, really hyped when things are good and then get really, really down when things are bad. It's like this roller coaster. It's like, you gotta try to keep an even keel. I mean, you know, celebrate your highs, but know that, that it's never gonna be just a linear, you know, just like healing, right? It's not a linear climb. It's, it's gonna have its ups and downs and just to hang in there. Um, and then I would say for patients, um, I just think that having one-on-one -on -one personalized care is, is rare to find, but once you find it, it's like, go for it because you might have something, especially if it's very complex and it's been years that you've been dealing with this particular thing, you might need someone who can take the time to really help you understand your situation. Uh, and that's, that's something that yes, you're gonna pay a lot of money for seemingly upfront, but then, like we were saying, if you're going to a PT clinic three times a week and your copay is 50 bucks, well, you just paid 150 bucks a week uh, and for weeks on end and missing work and, you know, getting 
kind of mediocre care because it's you and three other patients at the same time. Um, so it's, it's definitely worth it to skirt around um, the insurance world and to get into cash-based PT as a patient. You're just going to get better quality care overall. De definitely. And it takes out so many of the other little nuances, uh, like you mentioned insurance. Well, PTs have to document everything that gets done in a normal clinic for insurance to approve. So mm. you have to ask yourself the question, is my PT really going to be focused on my care and treatment? Or is he or she or whoever going to be focused on making sure whatever gets done gets written down? Because if it's not written down, it didn't happen. So, mm -hmm. you know, what good is providing treatment if you can't even prove it happened? Mm -hmm. um, and I'll also say too, that I think a lot of people, uh, I, I like to use what I call the dog analogy, right? People have a dog or a cat or a pet and they will take their dog to the vet. And speaking of dog. <laughs> Sorry. <good time. laughs> uh, and they'll take them to the vet and spend two or $300 for a 15, 20 minute, you know, evaluation. And they won't think anything of it. And not all those people have two or $300 to spend on their dog, but they do it anyways. So if you're willing to spend that amount of money on your dog, why yeah. not spend it on your own health and your own well-being? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's what you put in, you'll get out. Absolutely. Exactly. And uh, last thing I'll mention, I am not a private practice owner yet, uh, but it is also important for anyone looking to get into it to check your state practice act because you in Virginia are very fortunate to have direct access. Many states do, but not every state does. So you can literally get a patient and treat them for, I think, 30 days in Virginia or 60 days, now it's 60. 60 days without yeah. a physician's referral, which is incredibly powerful. Uh, anyone can walk in off the street, really. Uh, whereas other states, you can't see anyone unless they're sent to you by their doctor. Uh, so it's important to know that little piece uh, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm with that 60 days, just changed, just changed from 30 to 60 um, within the past year, I believe the year or two. So we're inching our way there. I'm crossing my fingers for full access one day. So hope almost, almost there. I'm sure it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> Where else can people find out more about you and about Inspire Physical Therapy? Sure. So I have a website. It's inspirephysicaltherapy.net. You can check that out. And then I have an Instagram that is inspirephysicaltherapyllc. And you can go on there and see videos or little tips. Um, that honestly, the, the posting there comes in waves, depending on how much I want to get on social media or not. Uh, and then um, I, I oftentimes do workshops. Uh, they're, they're random, but those are a lot of fun too. So you, you don't have to be a current patient to attend a workshop. They're usually free and they're usually 30 minutes or less. Um, and that's something that I'll post about on Instagram too, or in my newsletter as well. So you can also email me, Laura, L-A-U-R-A at inspirephysicaltherapy.net. And I'd love to chat about all things private practice or PT in general. Awesome. Laura, really appreciate your time. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you stay up to date on all of the latest and greatest episodes that we're releasing. Make sure you follow us on social media at Brown Body 
on all platforms. And make sure you share our podcast and this episode with a friend who you think would enjoy the content that we're putting out. Last, if you want to help support us and everything that we're doing, please check out the links below, whether it's the affiliate links or our sponsorship links. You can donate to the podcast and give a monthly donation to help support this episode and future episodes that we have planned. Thank you as always for your support. 